We'll be in the uh, New Testament, two different sections of, of Paul's writings. Mark them both down. One will be Romans chapter 6, and we'll be in verses 1 through 14 in Romans. That's our main text this morning. And then we're going to use a supporting text, which will be Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And so both of those, if you want to mark your place in your Bible for both of those, will be Romans 6, 1 through 14, and Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. So the title of the message this morning is New Life in Jesus. New Life in Jesus. That's important. Uh, you know, new, oh, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about several things this morning that are important. I'm going to share a few things with you, the personal things that I've been thinking about this week. But I want to share with you a couple things. Uh, if you'll notice that in the last uh, several months, we've been doing things that have been tying together. These messages have been going hand in hand. It's almost like they're a series of messages, but that's the way God's Word is. It ties together. And over the past several weeks, We've discussed some things that had significant contrast between the two, things that were completely opposite, things that were distinct in their characteristics, things that were distinctly different. Last Sunday, if you were here, we discussed the difference between light and darkness, what light does to darkness, how when light comes into a room, darkness has to leave. Darkness never overtakes light. Light always overtakes darkness. And that's the way we we looked at it. And then the analogy was we discussed how God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in God. When God moves in as light, darkness moves out. Sin is darkness, but God and sin are not the same. They do not coexist at the same time. So when sin moves, when, when God moves in, sin has to move out. And that's a distinct thing about light and darkness and God being light. He is our light. The Bible says that, that God is light and sin is darkness. There's absolutely no sin in God and there's absolutely no darkness in God. And what we want is the light. We want to be in the light. You think about it. When darkness comes, things get a little different. Man, you think about it in the medical community. When, when darkness came, people got depressed. You know, in, in Alaska, when there's six months of darkness, there's more, more depression. There's more, uh, I want to mention it, but there's more suicidal rates go up because of darkness. Things that are sad are related to darkness a lot of times. But light brings refreshing. You think about it, man. I want to go sit at the beach in the what? The sun or the shade? When you go to the beach, what do you want to sit in? I want to sit in the shade, I'll be honest with you. But, but you go for the sun, though, right? I talked to Jason and Missy about it. That if you hadn't had the shade, you would have been sunburned. But the thing is, you want to have the, the sun brings about a, a, a renewed regeneration. I mean, you think about it, but God is light. When we are connected to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and walk with Him, His light illuminates our path. Man, it's God's light when he's in our body, when he comes inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit, his light shines. And you know, the thing is, his light shines in us because Jesus is the light, but because Jesus is inside of us, because the Holy Spirit's inside of us, we're a reflection of the light. But God's light illuminates our path in darkness. We think about it because we're dealing with darkness a lot of times. He illuminates our path in our darkness. He calls us out of darkness into the light. We talked about that last week. When he calls us, he calls us out of darkness into the light. We become children of God and he adopts us into his family. Amen. We get into the light with him. We, we move out of the darkness. This change is a distinct difference between the contrast of where we were when we were lost and then we didn't know him to where he moved us to, where he wants us to be. When we become followers and children of God, he moves us away from the darkness and then we walk with him in the light. He is our light when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
And that's a tough phrase, but the thing is, is we're going to walk through that valley. There's going to be valleys in our life that's going to be dark, and we're going to have to walk through those valleys. But God said, I'll go with you. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll walk that valley with us. He'll go with us every step of the way. When it's difficult, when we're dealing with struggle, he's going to be with us. He's the light that we need. He's the light that we depend on. He's going to even be the light when we're up on the mountaintop. Man, when things are good, he's still the same light. Amen. He's the one that's given us the blessings most of the time, and we take them for granted a lot of times, but we don't want to ever take them for granted. But he's the same God day in and day out, night and day. This morning, we're going to look at another passage of Scripture that has a distinct contrast between things that are old and things that are new. And it's going to kind of go together. And I'm going to give you just a little brief thing here. Some people like to hang on to things that are old. Y'all know any of those people? I'm one of them. I like to hang on to things that are old. It seems to me like there's got to be some use for this old thing somewhere, sometime down the future, whether it's me or somebody else. I mean, I went as far as asking Rodney this past week, do you need any gate hangers? I got like 55 gate hangers that screw into the post. Anybody need those? Just check with me afterwards, all right? I have no use for them, but anyhow, I'm hanging on to them. I don't want to put them in the trash can. I want to make sure that somebody gets them. Things that are old, I can't wait to, to use this later on. Other people have no trouble getting rid of things that are old. They get excited when things are they're going to get something new. There's a, a distinct difference. They get excited when something's new. They might even call it an upgrade. It's something that we needed. We, we needed this, right? It's something new. Just think about this. For instance, when they get a new vehicle. And I told, I told Miss Mary I was going to call her out this morning about her getting a new vehicle. But that's, we get excited about it. Even if we lock our keys in it, we can't get inside of it, or we don't know how to cut the radio off when we get out of it. It's, so, it's just exciting for us to do. The new school year is about to start. Teachers are getting new stuff for their classroom. Students are getting new backpacks. They're getting school supplies, all new things to start this new school year. Moms and dads are buying new school clothes for their children out with the old and in with the new. That's a phrase, right? Patty and I were talking about different phrases that have absolutely no meaning. But anyhow, out with the old and in with the new. Maybe they worn them out. Maybe they outgrew them or whatever. But they're getting new school clothes this morning. We're going to open up God's word to Romans chapter 6 and see what the Apostle Paul says about getting rid of an old life and starting a new life with Jesus Christ. He's very specific about what happens to the old life, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Paul is very specific about what happens to the old life and how awesome it is to be in, in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ and have a new life connected to the vine. If you are able... Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Why should we say then, should we continue to in sin so that we grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Or are you unaware of all of us who have, who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were baptized with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him 
so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died on this, uh, to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer its any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. God's grace covers our sin each and every time. But we should not continue in sin just because we want to get more of God's grace. And that's what Paul's talking about in the first part of this, the scripture. Is he's talking to them is that that's not why you want to sin to get more of God's grace. Because God gives us grace willingly. He pours it out upon us. And we look at our, our studies together. Christian living is a direct result of Christian learning. Christian living is a direct result of Christian learning. There is absolutely no substitute for being in God's word on a daily basis. Amen. There's no substitute for being in God's house studying his word together when we think about it. There's no substitute for being connected to God through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way. There's no substitute other than Jesus Christ. Our actions as Christians should always be grounded in God's word. We should always be standing on the word. We need to know God's word because when you look at it, we want to be able to move forward. We should be grounded in his word. We want to know what we believe and we want to believe what we know. Amen? That's one of them phrases, Patty. Know what you believe and believe what you know. If Satan can keep Christians ignorant to what God wants him or her to do, then he can keep them from fulfilling the will that God has for their life. He keeps them in the shadows. He uses them. He uses a weapon. He uses sin as a weapon for them. What Paul is saying, the basic truth of what he's saying in this passage is he's teaching us to be identified with Jesus Christ. He's talking about our identity with Christ through, and God the Father through Jesus Christ. When you think about it, you're identified by the things that you're in contact with. Amen? Man, for many years, I was identified as a paramedic. Then I was a, identified as a PA. I've been identified with medicine my whole life. You're identified with things that you are in association with when you think about it. The gospel message revolved around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the Paul is talking about in the basic identification of Christ. Is we are identified with him in the death, burial, and resurrection. Not one or the other and not one without the other. We're identified in all three. What's that, Brother Kier? What do you, what do you 
mean by that? How are we identified? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what the scripture talks about, is our identification with Jesus Christ, how we're identified him with the death, with the burial, and with the resurrection. As believers, we are connected to all three. Jesus said we need to be connected to him as the vine, that we are the branches, that we draw nutrients from him, that we draw wisdom from him, that we draw strength from him. We need to be connected to him. That's what he told us. We need to obey his commands that he's given us, fulfilling the purpose that he placed us here to do as the church. We talked about the church last week. Amen. Man, we have a position in this community to function as the church the way God wants to do, to share the gospel, to reach the lost, to touch the lost, to share his unconditional love with people who need to hear it. We inherited, when we talk about things inherited, we inherited a sinful nature from Adam, which makes us connected to him, which makes us be identified with Adam because of the sinful nature that we inherited from him. We're connected to him and we're identified to Adam in the sinful nature. That's what we talk about. We know Adam was the first man, but we all talk about Adam and the descendants. It's all, all surrounded around the fact that he gave us a sinful nature that we inherited from him. But just as believers are identified with him from a sinful nature, we're also identified with Jesus Christ through righteousness and justification. Amen? When you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you, you become righteous because he took the sacrifice for us. Because he did the penalty, he paid the penalty for us. And you're justified in the face of God because of the sacrifice that Christ made. Let me give you some facts. Here's some facts. Based on the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross and the fact that he was buried in a borrowed tomb for three days and the fact that God raised him from the dead, we are connected and identified with Christ when we make him our Lord and Savior. That's what the Word says. That's what Scripture says. You believe every word in the Bible. Do you believe it's God-inspired word? That's what Paul's talking about. He was inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit to write this. Our relationship with God is a living relationship. And there's nothing dead about our relationship with God. It's a living relationship. It results in eternal life with Him and fellowship with Him in heaven. Amen? That's where we want to look at it this morning. We want to look at that. Basically, what Paul is saying is that we're identified with Christ. And whatever happened to Christ happened to us. When, we, when he died, we died. When, even though we nailed him to the cross, when he died, we died. When he arose, we arose. That's what the word says. The Bible says because of this connection, we are now seated with him in heaven. We have moved from darkness to light, and we've moved from death to life. Amen? It's where we want to be when we look at that this morning. The old life is no more. The new life begins falling to making him our Lord and Savior. Man, you don't have to be. Power of sin does not have to be upon you. If, if you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, he removes the power of sin has over you. There's still sin that takes place, but no longer does it have power over you. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Here's what Ephesians, Paul's writing in Ephesians. He says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, and the spirit now working in disobedience. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under the wrath of others were also. But God, anytime it says but God, man, things are going to change. Amen. When he says but God and, and who he is, who is rich in his mercy because of the great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you were saved by grace. He, he, amen. He also raised us up with him and seated us 
with him in the heavens of Jesus Christ. Look at that last verse. That's what Paul says. He also raised us up with him. That means we were raised in resurrection with him. And we're see, he seated us with him in the heavens in Jesus Christ. That means we're sitting with him in the heavens. We're, we're, we're an extension of the right hand of the Father where Jesus is sitting in our presence because we're children of God, because we're his children. And we're right there with him. He's interceding for us. When we mess up, he, Jesus says, and God wants to, to discipline us, Jesus says, that's my child. That's who I paid the penalty for. That's my child. This is what I'm talking about. We still have consequences, but that's my child. The example that Apostle Paul is using, he says that believers are dead to sin. And what he's referring to in this one is the act of baptism. When he looks at it, that's the example. That's the illustration that Paul is using in this passage of Scripture, the act of baptism. The Greek word for baptism has two basic meanings. Let me share that with you. The literal meaning is to dip or to immerse in water. That's one. All right? The figure to mean it means to be identified with. To be identified with. Paul's using both of these in this passage of Scripture. Let's look back at Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. It's a new life. It's a new time. It's a new era. Out with the old, in with the new. Paul used the literal and the figurative meaning in his word of baptism in this passage. I'm going to give you a little bit of of history because I like to throw that in every once in a while. It's just part of studying. When you study, you'll get some history every once in a while. Historians agree that the mode of baptism in the early church was immersion in the water. That's what they agree to. There's different forms of baptism, but that's what they, the historians agree to. The believer was buried in the water and brought up again as a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism by immersion is an illustration of what Paul's writing about in 6. It pictures the believer's identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's an outward symbol of an inward transition, of an, of an inward experience, what has taken place. Now, the baptism dot what gets you to heaven. It's a symbol is what takes place afterwards. Trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, making him the Lord of your life. That's what gets you to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Turning your life over to Christ is what gets you into heaven. Baptism is a sign of obedience. It's a symbol, of an of, of inter, of outward symbol of an inward experience. Paul's not saying that immersion is going to get us into to heaven, but what he's saying is a sign of obedience. Their immersion of the, of the early church is, is what the Holy Spirit did for them. The Holy Spirit identified them with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. This means that the believer has a new relationship to sin. That's what the scripture says. He's dead to sin. Sin no longer has a, a power over us. Before you become a believer in Jesus Christ, sin has complete power over you. It's a distinct difference between the two. Sin no longer has the power, any power to control your life. Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul's writing on, and this is what he says in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. You think about it. If an alcoholic dies, and I'm not stereotyping anything, but if an alcoholic dies, he can no longer be tempted by alcohol. He can no longer see it, smell it, taste it, or have a desire for it. 
is completely gone. It has no control over him at all. The Bible says that, if, that in Jesus Christ we have died to sin so that we no longer want to continue to sin. We no longer want to live in it. We no longer want to have it. We no longer have a desire for it. But, we're, but not only are we dead to sin, it goes on to say that we are alive in Jesus Christ. Not only is the sin dead in our life, but we're alive in Jesus Christ. We have been raised from the dead, and now we have the uh, walk in newness of life, and we have the power of his resurrection to support us through the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says we walk in newness of life because we share the life of Jesus Christ, because he lives inside of us, and he has the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us as well. Y'all follow me? Satan wants to be our master, and he uses sin as a weapon to be our master. That's what he, he finds a foothold to get in. He finds an angle to get in. He looks for your weakness. He wants to use sin as a weapon. And though the old nature of sin speaks to control every part of our body, Paul says, don't let it happen. Don't you think about it. Don't use your body or your parts or your angles or anything about you as part of Satan's attempt to sin. Paul once warns us about this. But in Jesus Christ, we all died to sin. The old nature was crucified. It was nailed to the cross. Every part about it was nailed to the cross so the old life is gone. And now we live in a new life with Jesus Christ. It's rendered inoperative, the old self is. Paul is stating some simple facts. Let me give you three more. It's a fact of history that Christ died on the cross for the sins of all people. Isn't that a fact? He died for all people. That's a fact. It's a fact that, that, that in the fact of history that the believer died with him when they became connected to him. That's what God's word says. It's also a fact that he who is dead is, if, of, to sin is freed from sin. Not freed to sin, but freed from sin. It's just like the analogy of the alcoholic. He's freed from sin. When you're dead to something, it no longer has control over you. Sin and death have no control over Jesus Christ. He proved that on the cross. He took upon our sins, but it had no control over him. He willingly took it, but it had no control over him. He was resurrected from the grave, which proved that he was the son of God and that sin had been defeated. God is light and sin is darkness. Don't ever forget that. The Bible says that there's absolutely no darkness in God. And as believers, we are in Christ and we're connected to him. Therefore, sin and death have no control over us anymore. Bible goes on to say that Christ not only died for sin, but he died unto sin. And what does that mean? What does it mean that not only he died for sin, he died unto sin? That means he paid the penalty for sin for us, and he broke the power of sin for all believers. Let me give you a, an analogy, something I was thinking about some of the military people, and I wrote this down last night when I was just kind of studying over it. And you think about this. If you've been in the military, or if you know anything about military and boot camp, you think about it. In the military, been in the military, or you know anything about boot camp, you know the drill sergeant is the one who's in total control of boot camp. Amen? The drill sergeant is in total control of the boot camp. He tells you what to do, tells you when to do it, tells you where to go, tells you when to eat, tells you when to go to bed, tells you when to get up. Every single thing that you do, he's in charge of. He tells you. He has power over you from start to finish. Amen? He's in control of you. Now, you think about it. When you're discharged from the military and you go by that drill sergeant and you speak to him and you say, he says, hey, I need 50 push-ups. What do you say? Not today, buddy. <laughs> Not going to happen today because you know he has no power over you anymore. 
He might have had power and he was in full control, but, but the minute you were discharged from the military, he has no power over you anymore. That's the same thing with Jesus Christ. The sin has control over you, has power over you, but the minute you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, sin no longer has power over you. Satan has no power over you. Jesus, you live live in a new self. It's a new body, out with the old and in with the new. Amen? It's completely different. Jesus broke and he removed the power of sin over us on the cross. That's what he did it for me. He did it for each of us. He went to the cross willingly and he broke the power of sin. He did that because of his love that he has for all of mankind. Amen. Isn't that an awesome love? I mean, God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's an unconditional love. Man, he loves us so much. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man, we all love to get gifts. And we all love to, to get rid of the old and get the new. And let me tell you something, nothing more exciting than having a new life with Jesus Christ. Amen? Nothing more exciting. Man, he walks every step of the way with it. He illuminates the path. He makes it straight. What was a crooked road and a rocky road is now a smooth, straight road. Now, it can still be bumpy. There still be a little hurdles, but he is walking with us every step of the way. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a separation between us and God. We can't get to him, and he can't get to us. Sin is darkness. God wants to shine a light on us, and he wants us to have part of him in each of our lives. And, man, that's where we've got to invite him into our life. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter where you are in your age. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your track record is. It says in the Bible, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, when our time is over with on this earth, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. We're either going to be eternally in heaven or we're going to be eternally in hell. And that's separation from God or presence of God is this, the distinct between the two. We want to be in his presence for all of eternity. And it makes a decision that we make on this earth determines where we'll spend eternity. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And God didn't make it complicated. He didn't make it hard for us. He didn't make it difficult. He simply said, if you, if you invite me in, I'm going to come in through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you just ask me to come in, I'm going to come in. I'm going to make a change in your life. Things are going to be different. You're going you're to experience some things like you've never felt before. You're going to feel the presence of the power of the Spirit like you've never felt before. You're going to feel the love like you've never felt before. Man, there's nothing more exciting than inviting Jesus Christ into your heart. Maybe today you don't know who he is. Maybe you thought about him. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you've read about him. But maybe you don't truly know who he is, and you want to make that decision, invite him in. Let me tell you something. Nothing more better. Nothing more. Is that good? Nothing better than inviting him in today. Don't put it off. Man, you, you say, well, I go to church. Man, I'm in church regular. I'm in church more than that guy. I'm in church more than they are. I dress different. You know, surely I'm going to heaven. I mean, you know, think about it. I, I encounter people all the time, and I say, you know, I ask them a couple questions. I say, well, I know God. I'm going to say, well, Satan knows God, and so does all his demons, but he's not going to spend eternity in heaven with him. You've got to know about him. You've got to know who he is. You've got to know how to get to him. And the, and the word says it's through Jesus Christ, and there's no other way. And if you haven't laid it down, if you haven't put it at his feet, if you haven't turned it over to him, this would be a good day to do it. Man, there's just no other, way, no other way for me to put it. If you don't know Jesus, turn it over today because he'll change your life and he'll change it radically. Maybe there's other people in here this morning.
that need a place to call home. Maybe you want to make Pine Hill your home. Maybe this is a, a, this fellowship is so sweet in this church, and this church is so exciting and ready to, to touch lives and, and touch them in all kinds of different ways. Maybe you want to be part of the fellowship of this church. And whatever it is, you just come on down. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And during that time, if you need to lay something at the foot of the cross, if you want to bring it to the to pray at the altar, you just come on down. Right, our deacons are here. We'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. Whatever the need, you just turn it over to God. And make, make this time a time that you, you just focus on him. Man, if it's a rededication or if it's just God, I just want to, I want to make this week your week. And I'm going to live for you this week like never before. Man, I want, to, I want to share the gospel this week with somebody who doesn't know it. I want to tell people about you. And I, this is, this is going to be, this is your time. Whatever the issue is, you bring it before Jesus this morning. Father God, I just thank you for our time together this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. And I just thank you for the truth that's in your word. I thank you for, for Jesus. I thank you for the fact that he loved us enough and you loved us enough. The God that he went to a cross to pay a penalty for me and for penalty for all people. And God, just to, to make it easy for me, God, and it's simply just to turn it over to you. Father, I pray if there's one person in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray that this day would be the day that they would come to know Jesus. And Father, I pray for those and others in our congregation. I pray as, a, as the power of the Holy Spirit moves among us, God, I just pray that we would tune everything else out. Nothing else matters right now. Father, we just want to hear from you. We want to feel your presence. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.